sermon is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothing. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Few overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my heart, before my Father and his angels.
church. You could say that Sardis is a lot like the Emmanuel Church in Ephesus. A lot of the same things could be said about us. But I felt that the other things that the Lord Jesus says about this church would not be said about us. Because except for a handful of members of this church in Sardis, the Lord Jesus Christ is not very happy about what is going on in that church. He says that although they have the reputation of being alive, in reality, the church is dead. From the outside, everything looks wonderful. But as you take a closer look, there are some serious problems. What are these problems? What's going on in that church? Jesus Christ tells them to wake up from their deadly slumber. How can this church look so alive and yet be so dead? That's the question this morning. So he tells the people at Sardis to stay awake. That's also our theme. Stay awake. And then we will look at three things at first what it means to be dead, the second place to be awake, and then finally to be alive. The city of Sardis, formerly the capital of the kingdom of Lydia, had always been an important city. It was built on a very steep hill and was located on a most inaccessible plateau. Acropolis, that is the fortified part of the city, was about 1,500 feet above the main road and formed an impregnable fortress. The only access to the city was to the south via a very narrow neck of the land. That narrow access was therefore easily defended and fortified. It was virtually impossible to capture the city. Therefore, the Acropolis had become also a military center in Roman times, at the time that this letter was written. And so the greatest importance for the city was its military strength. The city was also important because of its strategic position along a major highway leading from the interior to the coast. Sardis was a very old city. By the time this letter was written, the city had already existed some 1,300 years. Sardis had been very wealthy and influential and highly regarded. Its citizens were a proud people and felt quite smug in their secure and wealthy city. The early Lydian kingdom was far advanced in theological art, and Sardis was the chief seat of its manufacturers. The most important of these trades was the manufacture of dyeing of delicate woolen materials and carpets. The city had also become known worldwide for the making of pure silver and gold coins. In the 5th century before Christ, the metallurgists of Sardis discovered the secret of separating gold from silver. 
thereby producing both metals of a purity never known before. This was an economic revolution. For while, for while gold, gold nuggets, sand or mines were used as currency, their purity was always suspect and was a hindrance to trade. Such nuggets or coinage were naturally occurring allies of gold and silver, known as electrum, and one could never know how much of it was gold and how much of it was silver. Sardis could now mint nearly pure silver and gold coins, the value of which could be and was trusted throughout the known world. This revolution made Sardis rich and synonymous with wealth itself. For this reason, Sardis is famed in history as the place where modern currency was invented. But by the time this letter was written, the former glory of the city had begun to fade. That was partly due to the fact that its citizens were living in the past. They remembered their former glory and were no longer working to maintain their position in the world. They were content to rest on their laurels. They had also forgotten the lesson that you cannot depend on your secure position. And it's a lesson they had to learn time and again. For you see, in spite of the fact that it was almost impossible to capture the city, nevertheless, it did happen. Twice the city was taken by surprise and captured. Once by Cyrus in 549 before Christ, and another time by Alexander the Great in 218 before Christ. Apparently they were so overconfident and so convinced that no one could take the city that they had let down their guard literally. The guards were asleep at their posts. And so the enemies were able to sneak into the city. Perhaps the word Easter is referring to that part of their history as he warns people about those not being awake in the church at Sardis. He said to them, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. The members of the church had fallen asleep. They were asleep at their posts. They were no longer watchful. Oh, sure, the church at Sardis enjoyed peace, but it was the peace of the cemetery. The church was full of dead people. What exactly does the Lord Jesus have in mind with this? Well, verse 2 gives us a clue. For he says that he has not found their deeds complete in the sight of God. And in verse 2, he also speaks about strengthening what remains. So there is still some life there, even though it is feeble. Indeed, there would have to be, otherwise he would not tell them to repent and to wake up. But if you're completely dead, then you're incapable of waking up and of repenting. When the text says that their works are not complete, it means that their works are not whole. That's the original meaning of the word in Greek, 
In other words, the form matters, but with little or no content. So the outside, it looks all very great and wonderful, but once you get inside, there's hardly anything there. It's all fluff. Some of you may remember the false storefronts you would see in downtown sections of some older towns or cities. You'd also see some of that in some of those old movies, those old cowboy and Indian movies. Storefronts were made to look as if there was a large structure behind them. So that's how they were designed. They were intended to make you think, if you stood in front of it, that that building was much bigger than it really is, and that it was much more opulent than it really is. From the outside, it looks like a beautiful big building, but it's mostly fake. There's hardly anything behind it. Now, says the Lord Jesus, that's how it is with the church at Sardis. And so, he says, remember what you have received and heard. In other words, get rid of that false storefront of that building and make the building into what it's supposed to be. Strengthen what remains and reconstruct the building. Now, what was the original building plan for the church at Sardis? What was it built on? It was built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Sardis was brought to life through the Holy Spirit. That is the very thing the Lord Jesus reminds them of at the very start of his letter when he says, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Of course, those seven spirits doesn't mean literally seven spirits. No, the number seven refers to the fullness of the Spirit. The Lord God gave the fullness of the Holy Spirit to the church at Sardis. And the Lord Jesus also says that he has seven stars in his hands. As you know from chapter 1, verse 20, the seven stars refer to the seven angels who are the ministers of the churches. It is the minister who proclaims God's word, and word and spirit, they go together. Christ makes his church alive through the Holy Spirit, which works through the proclamation of the gospel with its promises and with its commands. It is through the preaching of God's word that the people must be kept alive. That's why it is so important that you are in the preaching. What are some of the symptoms of the deadness? Well, when you're dead, then you, like the people of the word, of the world depend on earthly security. And the Lord has ways of reminding us not to do that. With the flood just south of us in the last few days, the Lord God has shown us that security on earthly goods is a false security. I'm sure you agree that I've heard it's one of the richest places on earth because of the oil that's down there. The city of Calgary is a symbol of those riches, up to a certain extent. And then God sends floods. Buildings in the streets are covered with water and silt. 
but only traditions that are directly based on the Bible. The Zeth Church is a church that is afraid to change things because that's the way it's always been done. One of the problems that the church has started was that the church life has become routine. After 60 years of existence, people took their rich heritage for granted. And the Bible had become a dead book. They professed all the right doctrines, but they had no idea how to put that into practice. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, teenagers, elderly, all of us, if that's also our attitude, if that is how we act, then we too are in danger of becoming a dead church. Then the form of the church is there, but then really it lacks content. And then we are in danger of becoming a dying church. The church has to be alive. Come to the second point. The Lord God says to the church in Sardis, remember what you have and heard. What exactly did they receive? Well, they received, brothers and sisters, the wonderful gift of salvation. They received the wonderful news that their sins are forgiven them through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They received the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ has done everything possible for them so that they can, can become full and live members of Christ. the wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus to love them. But now the church in Sardis also has to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their soul. And they must also love their brothers and sisters in the Lord with all the talent that the Lord God has given them. They must constantly be asking, how can I help brother and my sister in the Lord, the one who has struggled, the one who has difficulty in his marriage, the one who is separated, the one who is on the fringe. How can I help such a person? How can I make that person also alive and feel accepted? church, a church that is awake, reaches out to its members, and not just to the members of the church, of course. First of all, the household of faith, as Paul says in Galatians, but you also reach out to others. You're concerned about their spiritual welfare as well. All those whom the Lord places on your path. So you welcome strangers with open arms. Instead of being afraid of them, you're happy to have them. Also, when they come into this church building. And then you want to instruct them. You want to reach out to them in love. If there's a stranger in church, then you go up to him or her after church and you welcome them. And after church, you do not just stand around talking in your own narrow and exclusive room. Of course, you get together after church and talk with friends and relatives, those you haven't talked to during the week, but also think about the other people. Look out for others. 
strangers even to your homes. And you're not afraid of the strangers that do not really matter. Somebody who is spiritual in life knows what is important in church life. Such a person will never say, this is the way it's always been done, and that's how it should stay. That's the way my parents did it, and that's good enough for me. You always have to ask, why do we do the things we do? What is the scriptural basis? You also have to ask yourself questions such as, why do I live the Christian life that I do? For example, why is it that I do not do certain things on a Sunday? Why is it that I do not participate in certain recreational activities? Is it only because that's the way I've been taught by my parents? The church at Sardis was already into its third generation. And the children were doing as the parents and grandparents were doing. And of course, that's good. It's good to listen to your parents and your grandparents. But you also have to test your parents' teachings. And everybody else's teachings, for that matter, including what comes from their pulpit. In accordance with the word of God, you have to test it all. You don't just do things because they do them. For it is man's tendency to create human traditions and make them into God's law. And those human traditions are then treated as if Moses himself brought them from Mount Sinai with him. And then they become your security blanket. For then you think that as long as you keep those traditions, that then you're safe. But you may not tolerate your own traditions and biblical law. Else the rules and regulations that you keep are only the form. They have no substance. They're done for the wrong reasons. They're done for security reasons. And they have this false sense of security. Just like the city of Sardis, just before they were scattered by the enemy. When it comes to the worship services and other things dealing with church life, you also have to ask yourself, for example, why do I bring my children to a baptism? Because that's what I expect them to do. Or why do we have sermons based on Heidelberg Catechism in the afternoon service? Why do we read the law? Why do we do the Lord's Supper in the way that we do? Etc., etc. Ask these questions. Why? Think about it. Is the tradition important to you or the substance? Think about these things. Don't just put your life and put your church life on automatic and just go with the flow. Be alive. Wake up. Realize what it means to be a living member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be knowledgeable. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a very strong warning to the church at Sardis. He says that if they do not wake up, that then he will come to the church like a thief in the night and take all their riches away from them. Warning for them. Warning for us. Warning also for the leadership in the church, for every individual member of this church, for each and every one of you. If you don't wake up, and if you don't stay awake, just like what happened to the city of Sardis itself when it was captured by its enemies, 
you too will be taken by surprise and you will have lost the battle. The enemy has taken over and you are completely in his power. Only those who are awake and stay awake will be alive. He comes to the third and final point. He says in verse 4 that there are still some people in Sardis who did not soil their clothes. And we stand first, he refers to that to a few people of refers to a few names instead of a few people. And that's better. Because that's exactly what the Greek says. First you are names. God knows your name. Your name was mentioned at the time of your baptism. At that time the parents and the whole church were reminded of the fact that the name of the child is known in heaven. At the time of our baptism the Lord God made wonderful promises about the forgiveness of sins and about eternal life. And he connected those promises up with your name. With my name. God knows exactly who you are. And he reminds the people of the church in Sardis that he knows each and every one of them as well by name. And he knows everything about them. But now he says that there are only a few names, some people who have not soiled their clothes. These people are awake and alive. They did not suffer from the same kind of deadness as their counterparts, but are still full of zeal for the Lord and his service. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a wonderful promise to them. He says to them that he will walk with them dressed in white, for they are worthy. White is the color of purity, of holiness, of perfection. A white robe was a festive robe. In the parable about the wedding banquet, the Lord Jesus tells of the king who invites all kinds of people to his banquet, but who finds among them someone who enters the banquet without wedding clothes. And then he throws the man out into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man didn't have a white robe. And brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ calls his church to holy, to purity, to festivity. And he has given us white robes. Someone who is a living member of the church will do everything in his power to be pure. How do you do that? By keeping God's commandments. He will do his utmost to walk in the ways of the Lord. He wants you to wear the white robe. He wants you to remain unstained. And he does that with great joy. Joy comes from. It doesn't come from pride that we're doing so well and keeping God's commandments. No. That joy comes from knowing that even though you are not capable of doing what God requires, that nevertheless your sins are forgiven in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Him. Even though you will have all kinds of setbacks, persevere in the faith. You fight the good fight of the faith. You know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if that's the way you conduct yourself, if that's how you keep yourself spiritually alive, then you will be worthy. 
possessed of affection, to be dressed in white. And that the Lord God will not blot you out of the book of life. Let me make you one. Is it possible to be erased from the book of life? Is it possible that God will reject the elect? No. Note well that that is not what the text is saying. The Lord Jesus Christ is actually encouraging those members in the church in Sardis. All of them. He is encouraging them by telling them that they will not be removed from the book of life. He reminds them that that is where their names are written. Oh, sure, it is possible to receive the promises of God at the time of your your baptism. It is possible for your name to be written in the book of this church, but the book of this church are not a permanent record. As soon as you die or when you move, your name is removed from the list. Then you are no longer a member of this church. It is also possible to reject God's promises. It is possible to walk away from him. But those who do that were never written in the book of life anyway. Oh, sure, there may be a time where it looks like that they have walked away, but that may not be the reality. And they would not in any way be affected by anything the Spirit has to say to them. Those who are totally dead are completely dead. There is no life in them any longer. Those who are written in the book of life, however, will never be removed. That is the prophecy to you as you struggle with your sins. It's also the promise to you who are sitting here in the pews wondering whether or not you have done enough, whether or not you've blown it, whether or not you're worthy. Lord God says to you that you are. He will not write you out of the book of life. On the contrary, he will guide you and protect you so that nothing and no one will erase your name from that book. But he wants to break you off. The book of Revelation, brothers and sisters, was first of all written for the comfort of those seven churches who are struggling in the midst of a world full of temptation, full of sin, full of misery. As the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is given to spur the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ on to holy living. It is written to remind the churches that Christ is triumphantly seated in heaven and that they may fight the good fight of their faith. Miss the point. It is written to let them know that no matter what people or kingdoms or circumstances may do to them, that nothing ultimately can harm them. Nothing can alter their position as children of God and as heirs of his kingdom. The same thing goes for you and for me. God loves you. Hasn't he also shown that? Why else would he come to you once again as he does this morning from the pulpit with his warnings? He wants you to be alive. For it is by the fruit that the tree is known. If you're a dead branch, then you will be cut off. A dead branch is someone who is not at all a branch anymore. 
by the vine. It is someone who is not affected anymore by what the Lord God has to say to him or her. It doesn't matter. That's why all the more you have to listen to the Lord's warning. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's how the Lord uses them too, is his warnings. To the churches, sorry. If you are touched by this message, then repent from just going through the motions, from coming here to this church because of tradition or because somebody else expects you to. Repent from not caring enough about God and the church. Wake up. It's wonderful to know what you read in the book of Bible. And it is wonderful to be awake. It is wonderful to be alive. But now go out and show that you're alive. Show it to your loved ones. Show it to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Show it to all those with whom you come into contact. Be alive.